I'd like to ask you today to turn to three passages of Scripture. One is in Matthew 16, 24. The other is in Luke chapter 23. And the other is in Galatians chapter 6. You might say I'm going to just preach all over the Bible this morning. But I'd like for you to find those three passages. And what we have to say this morning is based on these three sections of Scripture. Matthew 16, 24. Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 33. And Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. May we have a word of prayer together, please. Our Father, we thank Thee for this time together to study the Bible. We're so grateful for all we have entered in in worshiping Thee through hymns and music and songs and praise and offering and just to fellowship one with another. We pray now that the Word of God will be used by the Holy Spirit to plummet the depths of all our hearts. May somebody who is within the sound of our voice today who has never been saved open his heart to Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Central theme of the entire Bible is the cross, the cross. And in Matthew 16, 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 33, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the Son, the King of the Jews, save thyself. And now will you turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Notice the first passage I read are the words of Jesus. If you have a red-letter Bible, they were in red. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The second passage of Scripture was our words written about Jesus at the most crucial hour of his ministry, of his life, when he came to the cross to die for our sins. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. This third passage of Scripture is an estimate of the cross by the first foreign missionary, the Apostle Paul. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Many years ago, Jesse Brown Pounds, who lived from 1861 to 1921, 
an obscure person that many of us do not know, had a life change. There came a time in that person's life when he was surrounded by difficulties and questions and doubts and people tried to say, here's the way to go on and here's another way to go on and here's a good philosophy. And then he went back to his Bible and back to that initial experience he had had with Jesus Christ. And out of the crucible of that, that hour, he wrote these words, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall never get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. I must needs go on in the blood-sprinkled way, the path that the Savior trod. If I ever climb to the heights sublime where the soul is at home with God, then I bid farewell to the way of the world, to walk in it nevermore. For my Lord says, Come, and I seek my home where he waits at the open door. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go that the way of the cross leads home. As we think of the cross, there are three things I'd like for you to remember about the cross. Number one, the cross is not something that is forced upon you. The cross is not something that is forced upon you. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross is not something that's forced on you. I've heard people say, well, uh, my, my mother is sick and I have to stay home and take care of it. That's the cross that I have. No, that isn't the cross you have. That's an opportunity. It's a responsibility, but that's not the cross. The cross is not something that's forced upon you. Somebody else has said, well, I'm infirm and I can hardly walk and I have arthritis, so I'm bowed over and I have this sickness and that sickness, and, but that's the cross I have. No, the cross is not something that's forced upon you. Second thing about the cross is the cross is something you willingly take up. You willingly take up. Remember always, they did not murder Jesus. Even though Luke 23 tells us they came to the place which is called Calvary and there they crucified him, remember he could have called 10,000 angels, legions of angels. He was not a culprit led to a murder plot. Jesus came to willingly offer his life a ransom for the sins of the world, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The third thing to remember about the cross, it is something sacrificial. It is something sacrificial that we willingly take upon ourselves. It has to do with dying. It has to do with a death to self. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, by whom I am crucified unto the world and the world unto me. George Mueller was a great Christian. He fed thousands of orphans. He never asked anybody for a penny, but he handled and received seven millions of dollars in his ministry time. Came a day when somebody said, Mr. Mueller, tell us the secret of your life. How is it that you can do all that you've done? Tell us the secret of your life. And he said, I'd rather not. I'd rather not. And they impressed upon him and urged him and encouraged him and they said, Mr. Mueller, tell us the secret of your life. Finally, 
after duress and after they had persuaded him and persuaded him, he just, he was a tall man and he leaned over and went down like that and he put his hand on the floor. He said, I had a funeral. He said, there was a time when I died. What did he mean by that? Paul said, I die daily. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If the way of the cross is to lead home, there will have to be a death in our lives. And I want to speak to you this morning about the fact the way of the cross leads home. And I want to talk about three homes that the way of the cross leads to. The way of the cross is the way to victory. It is the way to joy. It is the way to dying. It is the way to victory. I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory. I gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me. The victory is in Christ. The three homes that I want to mention, the way of the cross leads home. What was it that this dear man had in mind when he wrote those words? I shall never get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. I want us to think first of all about our everyday home. That is the house we go to, the home we live in. Now, most people live in homes. Uh, sometimes we just have to live in a house. Sometimes the students that come to Western University sort of have a house or a room they live in over there. And it isn't exactly a home, but it's, you can make it a home. You know, they passing through the Valley of Baca made it a well. You can go through any circumstance in life and make the best of it. But sometimes uh, we have in mind a home where husband and wife are there and their children and, and we have sort of a home situation. There are lots of houses that are not homes. They're just a place where you hang your hat, a place where it's sort of like a fuel station. You come in and gobble up some food and rush out again. But in our everyday homes, if we want to make our home what it ought to be, we want to make it a sweet, precious, beautiful place. Then the way of the cross leads to that home. I want you to notice this. Someone has said that the three sweetest words in the English language are mother, home, and heaven. These three words center around the middle one. No one thinks of mother without thinking about home. And home itself ought to be a picture, a reminder of heaven. Nearly everybody who ever thinks about heaven thinks about loved ones whom they expect to meet there. And so the home is rooted in the heart of the tenderest devotion and memories and aspirations of our lives, mortal lives here on earth. When we think of home, sometimes as we grow older, we think of times when we were young. We think of mother and daddy. We think of husband, think of wife. Maybe they're not here any longer. We have in this congregation, even today, some who have gone through valleys and sorrow and somebody very, very dear to your home has been taken out. Maybe it was a husband, maybe it was a wife, maybe it was mother or daddy. And you think, well, home isn't exactly like it used to be. Well, it isn't quite like it used to be. Sometimes you can never go home. I want to say to the students who are here this morning, you've come away from home and you have some precious memories of home, even though you didn't always agree with everything that went on at home. 
you have some precious memories of home. But I want to warn you, you can't ever go back home when once you've broken those, those ties. And when you go back, it isn't going to be quite the same. Now, some of the circumstances will be there. Some of the surroundings will be there. Some of the same furniture will be there. Maybe the same of the same people, but it'll be a little bit different. Home, homes change some. But I want to tell you today how to have a sweet home, how to have a precious home. It's the way of dying to self. The way of dying to self. That's the way to have a good home. If you are selfish, you're not going to have a good home. If everything has to center around you, it isn't going to be a good home. Someone wrote, I think it was John Howard Payne, a number of years ago. And I understand that in his adult life, he never, never had the joy of a home. And maybe he was even more able to write the throbbing, heart-wringing song that uh, we've all but forgotten today. Mid pleasures and palaces, though we may roam, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. A charm from the sky seems to hollow, hallow us there, which seek through the world is ne'er met with elsewhere. Home, home, sweet, sweet home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. An exile from home, splendor dazzles in vain. Oh, give me my lowly thatched cottage again. The birds singing gaily that come at my call. Give me them with that peace of mind dearer than all. Home, sweet, sweet home. How sweet tis to sit neath a fond father's smile and the cares of a mother to soothe and beguile. Let others delight mid new pleasures to roam, but give me, oh, give me the pleasures of home. To thee I'll return, overburdened with care, the heart's dearest solace with smile on me there. No more from that cottage again will I roam, be it ever so humble. There's no place like home. And there are many of us who have lived long enough to know that that's a, a true statement. There's no place like home. And yet, a lot of homes today are filled with anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking and railing and, and uh, all kinds of arguments and fussings and right on the border of divorce all the time. What can change that? What can change a home to make it a sweet, precious, beautiful place where people enjoy being there? I talked to a couple, well, to a lady some time ago. And she was telling me how disappointed she was in her marriage, how unhappy she was. And she said, you know, preacher, the only reason I ever got married was to get away from home. I wasn't happy at home. I didn't like it. There are lots of folks that don't like their homes. Sometimes it's because of ingratitude on the part of a young person. Sometimes it's, it's because of uh, clamor and, and uh, overbearingness on the part of daddy or mother. What can make a home sweet and precious? The secret is the cross. Dying to self. Dying to self. A husband dying to self instead of wanting his own whims and wanting it every way his own way. He's willing to say, not my will but thine be done, Heavenly Father. Thou art my Father and I'm going to do what you want me to do. God has an order and he gives it to us in Ephesians chapter 5. He tells us exactly what a home ought to be like. Listen to this, husband, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. 
For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. That's what the Lord says to husbands in, about a home. For, for wives, wives, submit yourself unto your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wife be to her own husband. And then the scripture tells us something about children. In that same vein, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment of promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. So here you have husband, wife, and children in, a, in the makeup of a home. One of the big problems today in our homes has to do with infidelity. Some husband will look outside the home, find some body that he thinks is interesting, and uh, he, he makes the supreme mistake of letting himself get interested. And I want to tell you, any man that permits himself that luxury can get interested outside the home. One of the problems is a woman, a wife. Maybe she works at a factory, works somewhere and sits down to have coffee with some other man and they begin to talk about all their problems at home and after a while there's an intimacy that begins and they found something outside the home. I want to tell you, any woman, if she does not put blinders on her eyes and, and, and guard her life and her heart, can find something interesting outside the home. And so husbands and wives, rather than looking at television and Hollywood and, the, and all those things to try to find your standard and your plan of approach and, and attack, need to look at the Word of God. What does God say? One man for one woman for all of life. There has never been a perfect woman. There has never been a perfect man. And with all the imperfections, an imperfect man and an imperfect woman stand at an altar and say, I will. I'll take you for all of life. And that's a commitment. And love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. We have the idea somehow today that love is sort of a tickle in your liver. Sort of a ooey-gooey find a feeling that you and you can have it for a lot of different things and different people well that's an emotion and certainly there's an emotion involved in love but love itself is not a feeling it is a commitment that two people make one to the other for all of life and the only way you find that is at the cross you find that at the cross the way of the cross leads to a home a home that will honor God a home that will be blessed of God the way of the cross leads home. And then one of the problems in our homes is, is boys and girls and children who get their ideas and concepts of obedience to, at home from the neighbors or from the television or from somewhere else, maybe from school. And you have an idea, well, mom, everybody else is doing it. Hey, pop, everybody else is doing it. And a wise mom or pop says, honey, we're not everybody else. We're us, and we're going to do it this way. Now, there needs to be some authority at home. And the authority of the home is not son or daughter, it's mom and dad. And my friend, if we cannot honor father and mother, we will have an awfully hard time honoring God. And the rest of life will have a hard time honoring authority in the government. 
There's one reason there's so much revolution and so on today is because there's very little reverence and respect for mother and dad. I want to say, and I could preach hours on this, but the way of the cross leads to a godly home. The way of the cross leads home. Secondly, the second kind of home we want to talk about is the internal home. Not only the everyday home, the, the, uh, the home, the house we live in, the homes that we make here on earth, but I'm talking now about the internal home, the internal home of your heart, your life. Did you know that God can give joy and peace and power inside of our lives? The way of the cross leads to a godly home. Halder Lillians wrote these words out of his own testimony. These were his testimony. These words were his testimony. He told about how God moved in on his life and gave him some strength to have a godly heart inside of him. Once I was bound by sin's galling fetters, chained like a slave, I struggled in vain. But I received a glorious freedom when Jesus broke my fetters in twain. Freedom from all the carnal affections, freedom from envy, hatred, and strife, freedom from vain and worldly ambitions, freedom from all that saddened my life, freedom from pride and all sinful follies, freedom from love and glitter of gold, freedom from evil temper and anger, glorious freedom, rapture untold, freedom from fear with all of its torments. Freedom from care with all of its pain. Freedom in Christ, my blessed Redeemer, He who has rent my fetters in twain. You see, in Christ there is freedom. There is perfect freedom. Turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 6. And we want to look for just a moment at the freedom that Christ offers the believer. I'm talking about the internal home. The way of the cross leads home. The way of dying to self leads to a sweet, sweet, precious home in your soul where Christ can be uppermost and the King and the Lord and where you can be the kind of person that will be winsome and God can use you here in the earth. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 are the inner sanctum of the book of Romans. You might say the book of Romans is the cathedral of the New Testament. The, the, the Holy of Holies comes about in Romans 4 and 5 where we meet Jesus and find salvation. But then in Romans 6, 7, and 8, we have the inner sanctum of peace and power and provision and purpose. Listen to this. Beginning in Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 4. Therefore, we, have been, we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now look at verse 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members 
as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And look at verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Many of you have been saved. You have followed the Lord in baptism. Some of these in this new Christians class have not yet been baptized. One of the reasons we encourage new Christians to be baptized immediately is to remember it leaves a mark on your memory of what salvation is all about. Baptism doesn't save anybody, it never has. But it reminds us of what happened when we got saved. We had a, we had a, a juncture with Jesus Christ. We had a union with Christ. He died and was buried and was raised again. And so were we with Him. Retroactively, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ almost mystically, almost miraculously, by faith, we retroactively go back to the cross and we die with Him and are buried and are raised again with Christ. And we reenact that in our testimony. We come to say, I have been born again. I have died to an old life. I've been buried to that old life and I've been raised to walk a new life with Christ. And the scripture says, if you then are dead with Christ, how can you live any longer in sin? And so, the second, the second home that I speak about today is the home of your soul. The inner sanctum of your life. The way of the cross leads to a sweet home, a precious home, a victory home deep inside of you. What do you mean, preacher, by the way of the cross? I'm talking about the way of death. Remember George Mueller's secret, I died. There came a day when I had a funeral. And when you and I are willing to die to self and be buried to self, then we can live. Remember that the way of the cross is not so much denying certain things as it is denying self. It's not a matter of saying, well, I'm going to, uh, you know, we have sometimes we have a season in the church here called Lent. And Lent is a season where you say, well, I won't eat any candy for a certain number of days until Easter. Or I won't eat any ice cream. Or I won't eat any, any chocolate pie for a certain number of times till Easter. I'll give up some of these things for Lent. That's not dying to self. That's a that's denying certain things, but that's not what is meant by the cross. To die to self means that we deny ourselves. And we look to Christ and say, Christ, not what I will, but what thou wilt. It's what happened in Gethsemane when Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. It's a dying to self's desires and plans and whims and ambitions. And we say, And he drinks, and he cusses, but boy, he's really good looking. I think I want to go with him. And we say, now, Lord, is that your will for me? And you begin to wonder, now, what is God's will for me? And here's a guy. She's a real glamorous girl. Boy, she's pretty. She's really something. And uh, she, uh, oh, my, she just uh, makes you spin inside. But, but, you know, she's not saved. And uh, other boys have been out with her and got sort of what they wanted out of her. 
And you sort of think in your mind, well, I'd like to go out with her. But you're a Christian. And inside, there's a question. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You see, it's not denying certain things. It's denying self. It's denying self's lust, self's ambition, self's desires, so that we yield ourselves to Christ. And we don't yield the members of our bodies as instruments to unrighteousness, but to righteousness. And we say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And I want to tell you the way of the cross leads to joy and purpose and power and a wonderful life. You want to have a victory life this year at Western University? Live the way of the cross. The way of the cross leads home. There's no other way but the way of the cross. I mean dying to self day by day by day. You want to have a good life at Western? You want to have a good life at Bowling Green High? You want to have a good life at Anchorage? You want to have a good life this year in your school, wherever you are, and in your work? Then die to self as a believer. The last thing I want to say. The way of the cross leads home. I'm talking now about our eternal home. Our eternal home. You see, we all have three homes. We have this home we live in here for a little while. But remember, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel a home in this world anymore. And then we live inside of ourselves. We have a home inside of this body, this old tabernacle in which we live. But one day, this tabernacle is going to lie down and die. It may be sooner, it may be late. We've had lessons in that this summer in our own congregation. People we thought were indestructible just suddenly taken out. They're gone. And it reminds us every time a thing like that happens, reminds us that one day I'm going to move out of this earthly tabernacle that I live in and I've got to go somewhere. I've got to go somewhere. The train is pulling into the depot and I've got to get on it. I'm either going toward heaven or I'm going toward hell. I've got to decide while I'm here. Now the decision is made before death. If you wait till death to make a decision, it's too late. The decision is reached when you have a juncture with the cross. And today, every man, woman, boy, and girl within the sound of my voice is coming into, into, a, into a, a, a juncture with the cross of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who never sinned. He was God dwelling in human flesh. He came because He loved us. He came because we were sinners and could not help ourselves. And He came to die on a cross for you and for me. And when they nailed those nails in His hands, they put that crown of thorns in His brow, they put Him on a cross. They did not murder Jesus. Jesus yielded His life and atonement for the sins of the world dying that we might live. The way of the cross leads home. When you come to the cross and you're willing to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. You're my Savior. And I invite you to come into my life and be my Lord and my King. Then He takes you seriously. You don't have to beg God to save you. He wants to. That's the reason He came to earth. I've known some people who have gone to an altar and pled with God three or four days, maybe weeks, to save them. You don't have to do that. I'm not making light of that, but I'm just tell telling you, you don't have to do that. This book says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's the one that's knocking at your door. 
If any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. God loves you. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your Savior. And he earned that privilege at the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died for us. Once and for all, never again in a thousand worlds will it be necessary for the King of kings to come and die on a cross. He's already done it. Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. Jesus is the way of the cross. One day the Lord was talking about going to heaven. He was talking about his decease in Jerusalem and, and it broke the disciples' hearts. They were weeping. They were, so, they were so hurt. And then Jesus began to say to them, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, in the way you know. And Thomas, so much like us. Why, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We had a little girl in our church many years ago who had leukemia. She was very, very precious, little eight-year-old girl. Her name was Amy. Amy was very, very close to me. I loved her. I visited her in the hospital. She gave her little heart to Jesus. When she gave her heart to Jesus that day, she said to her mother, Mommy, give me my pocketbook. I thought she had changed, I thought she was just trying to change the subject. I didn't know what she was doing. And her mommy gave her a pocketbook, and she reached in her pocketbook, and she found a dollar. And she turned to me. This was just, just a few moments after she'd asked Jesus to come into her heart. She said, here, would you take this to Jesus and tell him at church tomorrow that I love him? She got well enough to come back to Bowling Green. I brought her into the church one day and showed her the baptistry. And I said, Amy, someday when you're able, we want you to be, you'll want to be baptized. She always said, she said, yes, I want to be baptized. Some days later, her grandmother called me. And she said, Amy is calling for you. I went over to Amy's house, sat down with her a little while. And she said, I want you to stay with me. She said, I'm going to see Jesus. And she said, I'm blind, but I've asked Jesus to heal my eyes. This leukemia had made her blind. She said, I want you to tell me everything you know about Jesus, because I'm going to see him pretty soon. And I began to tell her all the stories I knew in, in the Bible about the Lord. And I told her about Daniel, and I told her about Joshua, and I told her about David, and, and the, then I told her about Jesus feeding the 5,000, on and on and on. And, and I got, I just went as far as I could. And she said, please tell me more. And I stayed with her a little while. And then pretty soon she began to hemorrhage. I picked her little body up and took it out to the car. And we took her to the hospital, to the emergency room. 
And I put her on the emergency room table and the doctors all came in and she hugged my neck. She said, please stay with me. She put her little hand, hand around my neck. And she said, I want you to tell me more about Jesus. I'm going to see him pretty soon. And I told her some more. And in a little while, she went into unconsciousness. Later that night, she woke up with the Lord. The way of the cross leads home. One of the stories that I told her, the major story, was the way of the cross. That's the story I tell you today. It's the story that has never grown old. And I want to guarantee you the way of the cross leads home. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you that the way of the cross leads home. That the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. And anyone who will place his trust and faith in Jesus can be saved forever and ever. We pray, Father, thou wouldst touch men and women, young people, boys and girls today, that somebody would come the way of the cross and place his trust in Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. May we stand, please. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night. Number 242. Would you turn to that number, please? 242. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come to thee. Now, if you come to Jesus, that's the way you'll come. You'll step out of yesterday's failures into a tomorrow of victory. I want to warn you, that doesn't mean you won't have any more problems. That doesn't mean you won't have any more sin problems. But it means you'll have victory in Jesus. And I want to plead with you to come to him today because he's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. Step out of yesterday's past into tomorrow's glory. Step out of homeless wandering into the wonderful home of Christ, an eternal home where no evil thing cometh to despoil what is fair and where Jesus is waiting to welcome you there. Step out of a past of sin with all of its failures and all of its tentacles that would wrap itself around you and drag you down into a tomorrow of victory and peace and power. Would you do that? While we sing, who will come for the king today? Will you come?